Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet, playwright, author, and host of this show, as, as well as our companion show, uh, Metal Future, which is about rock and roll and things that happen in, in music these days. Now, this is going to be episode 127, and we're going to be entitling this Alcohol in the Arts. Been wanting to do this for a while now, so we'll talk a little bit about how alcohol has played a role in the arts, even since the earliest days of recorded history. And uh, recorded history means back to the the days of the Egyptians, where they literally had uh, depictions of them making wine and beer in in their, their hieroglyphics. They literally had the, the process detailed. So it's, a, it's amazing that even back then, you know, it played a real role in, in, in culture and, of course, in art. And people put it in their in in their material and in their, in their culture, and they put it in their their arts and, and pottery. It it just seems to be reflected all over the place. Now, in ancient Greek, a lot of the a lot of the painters uh, associated alcohol with religion in some of their mythologies. So they even had a god of wine called Bacchus, and they usually showed him drunk. <laughs> I guess that works out. Uh, the, the Romans uh, like to portray uh, alcohol uh, in, in a lot of banquets or in even some of their their orgies. And they even, of course, sometimes showed people uh, in, intoxicated. So it wasn't too unusual for them. I mean, it's hard to really watch anybody putting together a, a Roman um, show or movie that doesn't, doesn't show somebody with a big chalice drunk down with some wine. It's just common. I mean, no matter who you were. Now, Christians... When they got into the arts, uh, and and they had some alcohol involved in it, it had more to do with a, a religious uh, function. So you'll see it at the Last Supper, and you'll you'll see it talked about a bit uh, in the Bible, uh, especially in the Old Testament. You know, you had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, poems, or they used to call them Psalms. So there, there was a lot of uh, wine in, in there, um, and of course, some unusual things have happened with with alcohol as well. Um, uh, Noah got completely drunk. You know, after after he he landed the the ark, you know, there's even a painting, the drunkenness of Noah. So they actually uh, painted that. Um, one of the uh, the more um, <clears throat> I guess you could say obscene uh, portrayals of alcohol going too far is uh, a lot leaving the city as is being destroyed by God. His wife is uh, totally uh, becomes a salt pillar because she looked back when they were told not to look back. His daughters wanting them getting drunk and, and, and rape him. So, and they have children and start different tribes that I guess him and the Israelites wasn't allowed to mess with anymore. But that's, uh, I know, unusual way for, for alcohol. But the, the Bible can be a rough book. It's not all uh, Hallmark flowers and, and, and candies. Okay, there's some rough stuff in there. <laughs> Especially uh, along with alcohol and, and, and even sexuality. Now, Alcohol has been a big part of various paintings over the years, okay? 
the marriage of Cana, the, the feast in the house of Levi. Uh, of course, we talked about the drunkenness of Noah by Michelangelo, by the way. Uh, there was actually a, a painting called Locks Intoxic- Lot Intoxicated by His Daughters. So they don't actually show the daughters raping them, uh, thank God, in a painting. But they do show the daughters getting them ready uh, for that rape by getting them drunk. So you got some stuff there. Um, we have a, a number of other uh, paintings. The, the Drunken Silas, uh, that, that's, uh, that was by uh, Rubens Van Dyck. Uh, I think it's Van Dyke, but uh, I don't know. Dyke, Dick, I'll have to look that up. To me, it looks like Dick. D-Y-C-K. Okay. Of course, um, Caravaggio did Bacchus himself, the the god of wine, getting getting all smashed and everything, so it wasn't unusual. Once we started hitting the Renaissance around the 14th century, though, a lot of art and a lot of paintings sort of changed from... The philosophical and the religious more towards the individual. So you had a lot of a lot of things about simple life, about the average person they're living, about just things in nature. So that there was a lot of that, and of course there was a lot of alcohol in that. Uh, a lot of the the Dutch painters seemed to really like in, in the 17th century put a lot of their works in there. Um, there was a a painter by the name of uh, John Steen, and he wrote uh, he he drew a number of paintings. Painted uh, the peasants before the end, party of peasants. I don't know. These peasants are really partying or something here. They really are. There's no joke. So uh, that was really, really popular. Uh, the uh, Spanish, French, and English schools as well started doing a lot of that. Uh, Velasquez, a, a very famous uh, Spanish painter, he, he did a lot of uh, uh, alcohol. Uh, a lot of times he did nobility holding a drink or holding a bottle of drinking. So... That became a, a, a pretty popular thing. Um, if anyone knows anything about um, Beer Street and the Gin Lane uh, cavings, uh, carvings by William Hogworth, a, a British uh, painter in the, in the 18th century, he did a lot of that. Almost made like beer, like practically marketed it with his paintings. And he did a lot of funny things too. With people getting drunk when they when they vote, when they're voting during elections. Um, there's um. Some interesting paintings by the Scottish painter uh, uh, David Wilkie that uh, shows men uh, being intoxicated in the village, but he, he shows it in a way of, of human understanding and, and, and the, the common human frailty that people have. So he's more sensitive about it. He's not making a mockery of it. He doesn't think it's funny. He kind of thinks it's sad and, and almost pathetic. And that's the kind of uh, tone that he has with his. So as you can see, the paintings are already changing from something that's glorious and wonderful to something that could be sad and destructive. I, I'm not a moralist, so I don't go and tell people how they need their lives. And we'll talk more about you know my own uh, dealings with alcohol and my own dealings with other people with alcohol and the arts. But what I will say is that um, it has it has its positive fun sides, like anything else, as long as you don't abuse it and let it. You know, ruin your relationships or, or your life, uh, or your work or anything else. I mean, it's it's a fun thing. I don't I don't find it to be, uh, I don't find alcohol to be dangerous. I I find people's misuse of it to be dangerous. But alcohol itself, eh, nothing wrong having a a drink now and then. Why not? No no big deal. It's just when people get carried away, and we'll talk a little bit about both of those things. Okay. All right. So. Now we'll talk a little bit about writers, okay? 
and unfortunately, here's where it starts going bad. <laughs> you know, um, because we have too many writers that unfortunately, uh, it, it became a problem. It became a lifelong addiction. It became a destructive thing. In some cases, we'll talk about a couple of uh, writers who believed that it was some sort of muse. I don't advocate that position, by the way. But this is what they say. I'll, I'll report it, and that's it. That's all I could do. You know, but um, I, I find that to be a little silly. And maybe there could be some extreme exceptions with some of these folks. I don't know. Or they could just be drunk when they said that. Or just simply exaggerating. Hard to really know. But I've known too many people that it's not amused. It's not helpful at, at all. Uh, when it comes to being inspired or when it comes to being creative. It often it often shuts off the faucet, so to speak. Of You know, it, it's almost like... Uh, you know, if you're under the influence of the spirits, you're not really going to be seeing the spirits because you just it sort of blocks you in many ways, you know. All right, so let's talk about some of these folks, all right? We got uh, Dorothy Parker, uh, one of, one of the, the, the great female uh, writers, uh, even did writing for radio when that came about. Um, complete, total alcoholic. Destroyed her marriages. Uh, just drank on, on such a regular basis. That when they finally put her. In a sanitarium. Which is sort of like a. Sort of like a psychiatric ward back in the day. Uh, well, Although it, it, it went for all kinds of different ailments. But alcoholism was one of them. She literally told the guy. Uh, yeah. Um, this, is, this is a great room I have here. Just, just make sure I have access to leave every hour. Because I need to go get a drink. So here's a, here's a person that was literally drinking every hour on the hour that she was up during the day. I mean, if you think about, you know, that most of us are up on the average of, I don't know, between 15 and 16 hours a day. That's a lot of drinking. <laughs> I don't care if it's just once every hour. Jeez, that's, that's, but that's what she was doing. And some of the quotes from these people you could take seriously because <laughs> there's no reason for them to lie about that part. It's, un, it's unusual because alcoholics are, are famous for lying about everything, you know, except for their own level of drinking. They, they seem to understand that honesty. So that's unusual how that works out. All right, Truman Compote, one of the few writers that came out as being gay, wasn't hiding it. So he didn't use alcohol as a way to, to deal with the demons and depressions of, uh, of being gay in a society that doesn't understand them or hated them. He had any problem with that. He had more mother issues and, and other other psychological demons that plagued him. He was a famous writer, became very well known, and unfortunately, literally, literally drank himself to death. Even when he was undergoing treatment for cancer, he was still drinking. Incredible. All right, um, James Joyce. Here is where it came from. This, if you ever heard about that whole um, urban legend, like I call it. About, um, yeah, I write better when I'm drunk or I'm, I, I'm more inspired when I'm intoxicated. Well, it came from James Joyce. He literally said that. He literally said, I, I write my best novels when I'm, you know, when I'm smashed. That's what he said. So he believed that. Ironically, if you go over the, um, the interviews and the testimonies and quotes from many, many writers who had alcohol problems, he's one of the very few that actually made that kind of claim. Him and one others, which we'll talk about. Almost nobody else did. In fact, many of them 
uh, did what I like to call the Poe method. They only drank in between, <laughs> in between writing projects, and and oftentimes they only they only they only drank when they wasn't writing at all. Maybe because they wasn't inspired or whatever, but that's what they did. Many writers did that, so even they understood in their own, you know, addicted way that uh, you know it it had it had its limitations. All right, Bukowski. Ironically, he had a, a a completely unique take on all of this, unlike any of the other writers. He never claimed that alcohol was good for his creative writing. He actually did not write and drink at the same time, but he claimed that alcohol was important in his life, and he thanked God for it because it helped him from getting out from being a more depressive, shy person so that he could be more of an extrovert when he was actually naturally an introvert. So in a way, he kind of gave credit to alcohol to help him become creative only because he helps him become more out, outgoing. So he always had something positive to say about it. But he never really drank when he was when he was writing. And remember, many a times these people they left papers behind, they left edited versions of all sorts of things. We know for Poe especially that you could tell it was not possible for something like that to do 14, 15, 16 revisions of something and, and, and be drunk. It's just not possible. You can tell. And that's that's how we knew that he wasn't some constant drinking alcoholic uh, through everything. Most of them are not. It might be ruining their lives, but, you know. Now, we'll talk about Edgar Allan Poe. Now, I'm not trying to defend him as much as I, I love Edgar Allan Poe. But I, I can say this. It's my opinion, okay? But what I can say is, unlike a lot of these writers, and yeah, I don't know every one of their demons and all their personal problems, okay? Sure. But we know on a, on a very outward, superficial level that Poe, more than most of these other writers, seem to have a natural uh, urge to want to drink from all the very horrible things that went in his life. Both parents dying early, semi-adopted by a complete ruthless idiot who just treated him poorly, uh, both the women he loves dying of, of consumption, or that's what they used to call it back then, basically tuberculosis. You cough your, your lungs out until you bleed to death out of your mouth. I mean... If there's not any reasons for someone to drink under those circumstances, Poe had many of them. But Poe also was one of those that they drank in between these things. And a lot of writers did that too. We don't know all the things. I mean, we know Hemingway drank on a regular basis. We don't know all the problems that the Hemingways had. We, we suspect where it concerns Hermes, Ernest Hemingway because of the Hemingways himself seem to have had a genetic issue with with mental illness and depression through many of the Hemingways through, through over a hundred years. So there could be something genetic going on in that particular family. We also know that unlike most of the writers that had to deal with alcohol, Hemingway was one of the very first and one of the very few, you could put them in your hand is how few they are, that actively tried to seek treatment. I mean AA, I mean therapy, I mean psychotherapy, electrotherapy, drugs that they had to try to control. I mean, anything this guy can think of to try to stop it, he was trying to do. He didn't want to be that kind of a person. To the end, that's how he was. Unfortunately, um, Hemingway committed suicide. He just couldn't stop the depression. He couldn't stop the drinking. 
the author of incredible novels, very famous fellow, wonderful, wonderful human being in many ways. But, you know, he's plagued to the end of his life with this sort of thing. But he, God bless him. He tried to stop and he tried to do everything he can. So you want to you want to definitely salute any of those efforts. Now, Hunter S. Thompson, the, the writer, journalist, novelist. Uh, this is the man that literally drank from when he was age 15 to the day he died on a regular basis. He believed that it was okay to write and drink and didn't care. He believed it. And he had an interesting quote. I mean, it's just pretty unbelievable, but this is what he, this is what he said. I hate to advocate drugs, alcohol, violence, or insanity for anyone, but they've always worked for me. So uh, he lived that kind of uh, incredibly uh, depressing, violent, under under the influence life uh, from the beginning to the end. And again, one of the few writers on online, just like him and James Joyce, one of the few writers that actually said, "I'm doing this even when I'm creating. It works fine for me. I don't care. I'm good to go." Like I said, I don't advocate that, but there's only a very few because most of them understood it wasn't going to work out. William Faulkner dealt with this almost his entire life. He was famous for uh, literally saying in an interview, I write in between novels and I go on binges for weeks. Wake up, who the hell knows where? I'm ready to go back to writing. That's literally how he lived his life until he died. Uh, John Cheever had some similar results. Unfortunately, he was also battling with his uh, struggle and his depression regarding his bisexuality. Apparently, that wasn't something he was into, but he was driven that way. And uh, so alcohol helped him, or didn't help him, I guess, through all of that. But another one that that dealt with that in, in a very serious way. Incredible, huh? Now, I don't... um. I don't adhere to this uh, this new school thinking, which came out like in the like in the fifties. That you know, the modern man of the twentieth twenty first century is is become weak because he has so many different uh, technologies and appliances and conveniences in his life that he no longer can can be uh, the strong one that can drink and handle these things and blah blah blah. And women's rights are eroding men's strength and all. It's it's much of crap and excuses. Okay. There's, there's nothing that we can't naturally see from even five, 6,000 years ago that didn't say that there was alcoholism in society and in the people. Because it was. Sure, the art and, and many of the religion it might even celebrate it in, in, in certain ways. I mean, if you think about it, when you don't have theater or radio, videos, TVs, rockets, Electronic signals, computers, phones, and all that crap. You know, I mean, alcohol becomes in itself almost like a, a theoretical device. Almost, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't, but a, a common thing that, you know, uh, if uh, if an actor suddenly got some 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 stage fright or some nervous jitters, you know, I mean, there'd be a jug of uh, wine in the back over there. Hey, take a sip, man. Calm the hell down and go out there and rock and roll. So it it, it became a natural lubricant to lots of people's lives. And, and, and of course, it, it made sense uh, that it became part of the arts, but mainly because so many uh, artists, writers, and etc. are plagued with their own instances of depression and mental illness, you know, and, and, and all kinds of other demons that they might be tackling. 
some of those things that would drove them to be artists in the first place. And alcohol helped them to regulate things. But as you know, whether it's yesterday or 5,000 years ago, like anything else, you misuse it, bad things happen. I mean, it's no different than if you eat 100 donuts. I mean, you're going you're gonna to get sick. You're going to get diabetes eventually. I mean, if you eat them all at 100 donuts a week, not a good idea. And there was one guy who was testing the Big Macs. I think he ate them for a month or something. His cholesterol was like somewhere in the roof or something. So like anything else, you know, it could become a, a, a weapon or even a, a dangerous instrument against yourself and, and against your health and, of course, ultimately against the people around you. So it's one of the reasons why, you know, advocating is it, simply not something I would do. But I'm not also one of those people that are going to be, you know, moralizing you about it. What I can say about my own exploits is that when I spent uh, six years in the Air Force, I, I was around all around the world. I drank a whole lot. I even tried to drink and write and it didn't work for me. Like most writers, it, it just shuts you off. Now, having a drink or two when I'm editing something is okay because it's okay to have a bit looseness because you're not trying to tap into something creative. Because remember, when when you're being creative, it's an intense feeling. It, you're drawing from something and, and therefore you need concentration. Well, alcohol isn't exactly the... The device of concentration. It's a, it's a device of lack of concentration. In fact, it's about relieving tension. Because remember, concentration is attention. Alcohol is a relieving of tension. So you can see how alcohol in many ways is counterproductive to creativity. In many instances, alcohol is counter-creative. So it's not always a helpful thing. I find it helpful for editing and I've been known to edit when I have a drink or two. Not a big deal because I'm not doing anything really creative over there. It's simply about... Rearranging words and doing some basic grammar, you know. Occasionally, I might see something that can get fixed, but it's, you know, I'm not drawing from you know the spirit of the ages or something. Okay, it's just something that I know from my own uh, my own instincts. I don't need uh, you know to to tap in some ancient muse or something. But on on the personal level, you know, I've dealt with people, especially artists, that. This has become a, a problem for them, and and I and I tell people all the time, live the life you want to live. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be bothering you. You wanna, you wanna shoot heroin until you die. You wanna drink until everybody has abandoned you and, and you ruined everything in your life. You're, you're free to do so. I mean, I'm not, I'm not for that lifestyle, and I prefer, be honest with you, for you not to do that. But I'm not gonna be here to tell you all day long to not do that. That's not my job, and I'm not really interested in doing that. What I am interested in is. The same thing as I'm always interested in. The art. The writing. The reliability. The creativity. And you really can't have any of those on any kind of regular basis. You know, if, if, if you're some kind of alcohol person that has problems with alcohol. You, you can't. And I've had, I've had to let people go because of that. Like people can get mad all they want. That's fine. But not only is that my feelings, but that's simply the most practical thing. If you think you can function with it and get things done artistically, be my guest. I don't have a problem with that. You know, but if you're not going to show up for things, you're going to be unreliable. You're going to chase people away. You're going to act like a fool. And, you know, and you want somebody to forgive you every five minutes. So that, that's not for me. That's you go to the church forgiveness. That's not going to be that's not going to be happening for me because 
Whether we have a demon problem or not, whether we have alcohol problem or not, a drug problem or not, depression problem or not, whatever the hell problem we have, okay? It should not interrupt what we're doing creatively. It should not interrupt with our own reliability and our own responsibility. If we can't maintain those things, well then, you might want to pull away from that for a while. Whether it's pull away from creativity or pull away from alcohol, I don't know. That's up to you. But... I, I, that's what I tell people all the time. I treat you the same as anybody else, but I'm expecting the same standard. I'm not giving you a different standard because you got divorced yesterday or because you're dealing with depression or alcohol or drugs or whatever. You're not going to get a different standard from me. I expect you to de- to perform and operate like everybody else. Same standard. That's my idea of equality. Equality. Not excuses and, 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 and storylines. And that's unfortunately the problem with, with too many people like that. They live so long with people uh, ignoring it, sidetracking it, excusing it, lying about it, pretending it's not there and all that stuff that one day they wake up and go, oh my God, this guy's an alcoholic. Uh, yeah. Nice for you to notice 10 years later. So, as you can see, it, it, has, its, it has its positive and, and, and it does have it, it, its negative. It's just unfortunate that, that, that too many people, you know, abuse it. You know, I, I honestly would say to anybody I would know that has, uh, you know, real, real issues, that they should try to avoid it as much as possible. Because I think uh, eventually, you know, uh, they can slip into a, a situation where it becomes an addiction or it becomes a crutch or it just becomes, you know, the well they go to too much. Try to make that to be creativity. Well, I, I, know, I know a guy that... He dealt with that for a while, and he wind up just trying to do it less, and, and that's what he did. That and he tried to re- replace it more with exercise. If he felt, you know, really, um, really down in the doldrums that day or something, he went and did a couple miles of running, took a nice shower, and listened to some music or something like that. Things like that. Many instances when he did things like that, it helped him so he's not going and running into a bottle right away. Uh, is is he saying he has a problem? Yeah, he probably does have a problem. Does he need treatment? I don't know. Maybe that's his treatment. Everybody has a different way of handling all this. But if you have that personality or if you have that that desire just to drown yourself into something, whether it's that or something else, you know, you might want to find something more more constructive and positive to do. So that's why you're not harming yourself and you're not harming your creativity. Because I tell you, the world isn't always fond of us as writers, as, as artists. They're not always welcoming of us. You know, we got science thinking we're weirdos and religious religious uh, religions thinking we're, you know, we're nut jobs. The world not understanding us. I mean, so I don't understand why we need to make ourselves any more <laughs> misunderstood than we already are. Why make ourselves any more the enemy than so many people already perceive us, you know? And I tell writers this all the time. I don't want to sound like I'm preaching, but it's just, it's just my heart from what I, I truly believe. <laughs> it's hard enough out there already. Why make it any harder? Why be any more misunderstood? So those sort of behaviors, which I don't know if you realize or not, already built into the stereotype of the artist. You know what I mean? You got the starving artist, you got the drunk artist, you got the druggy artist, 
Yeah, he's in the corner, man, uh, strumming on the guitar. He's just, like, totally out there. I mean, we already got all those damn stereotypes. I mean, really, to the point where if a girl brings home a guy that's artistic, uh, the first thing the parents are asking on it, is he on drugs, man? Does he, does he drink a lot? You know, is he hitting up magic mushrooms, floating off to another distant land? <laughs> I mean, no sign of that, but already people are thinking that or saying that. So we're already tagged with all this nonsense. So why add any more to it? So we should try. But that's not just the reason is long, just because of stereotypes. Just the general health reasons. I could tell you a long list. Everybody from Poe down to Shirley Jackson, people that have let their habits and their and their demons wear their health down to where they're dead. Most of them dead before they're fifty. Hell Poe dead at forty. You know how ridiculous that is to die at forty? When you're when you're already doing some of the most creative and, and brilliant things, what more we could have gotten from him? What more we could have gotten from Shirley Jackson, perhaps the the greatest female writer ever. Same thing with Octavia Butler. Again, dying early. Why? Addicted to smoking and, and greasy foods and and and. A lifestyle that has nothing to do with, with exercise. Nothing. I mean, unless you counted the time she left the chair to go to the bathroom. I mean, that's about it. Horrible. You're going to get those sort of things. You can't live that way. So, oftentimes it's better for us to pick up healthier habits just so we can have a longer life. A longer life that means we can create more. And maybe we could try to... Patch up or repair some of the things we've done with with people over the years, so that we you know we can we could die with you know more than two people at a funeral. That would be nice too. So it's another good reason for that. Try to find more positive outlets. Okay, I'm not saying you can't have a drink once in a while. Maybe there are a few that can't just because you know it's such a a early addiction. But there's others that you know if they find a way to replace their the worst impulses with other things to save the save the drink for you know a better day rather than a worse day, you know. Which I know a couple people that do that. They say, "Mark, I won't drink on my bad days. I only drink on my good days." I go, "Well, I guess you don't do a lot of drinking then, huh?" <laughs> but yeah, I'm, that, that's what he does. And then I've done. I know a few people that do that. They do the yoga, the meditation, exercise. Uh, one did some boxing. Get stuff out of them. Hit the hit the you know hit the boxing. Uh, what is that? That that big pad that you hit. You know. To me, I think it makes a lot of sense. We all need to do that. I know I like running myself. Although I do I do it more for weight control than than anything else. You know, but um, we can stay creative if we try to stay healthier. We got to remember that. You know, we got so many folks out there. They're like, Mark, where did I get this writer's block from? I go, well, you know, if you didn't have any past emotional problems, they just came up on you. You know, someone broke up with you or, you know what I mean? You're divorcing your wife or husband or whatever. Then, you know, it could also be that the way you're, you're living. You're smoking too much. You're drinking too much. Eating a lot of junk. You're not exercising. Those things that really do uh, mess around with your mind and your health, and you're going to get uh, writer's block. And that's sometimes the only way you can solve those things is to try to get a little healthier. So please keep that in mind, all right?
there's not necessarily anything wrong with alcohol. It's only it's just like anything else. I mean, to me, alcohol is no different than a knife or a gun. You know, you can use the gun to, to shoot your neighbor for no good reason, or you could use the gun to shoot the enemy trying to invade your country, or, or shoot an animal because you you, you want to hunt for some, some food for your family, or, or maybe just to hit it for a fun target or something. There's so many positive things you could do with a knife or with a gun. But as you know, there's also a lot of negative things you can do too. So it's like anything else. It in itself isn't bad or evil. It's just how we use it. Hey, in many ways, writing itself and art itself can be a weapon, and we have to also use that correctly as well. So, and that is, doesn't just become something to, to make people upset on purpose or, or make them angry or, or offend them. We don't want to do that as well. All right, folks, until next time, I really enjoyed getting that out there a little bit of alcohol in the arts. I just really thought it was an interesting uh, topic to have, and you know, some folks had asked me to talk a little bit about it, so that's what I did. That's the episode. 127. Until next time, folks, strength to be human. God bless. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com.